It's a vast contrast. On Christmas Day, we have no seats left. And today, we have quite a number of seats. Uh, yesterday, we have our small group uh, year-end uh, lunch, and the question was asked, where do all the people come from? Huh? If we had a church service where this whole place is full, how wonderful it will be. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of heart, Lord, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our great Redeemer. Amen. There was a church in a remote area, and uh, most of them were elderly members of the church. And so they have been waiting for a long time for a pastor to come. And they appealed to the bishop to send them a pastor. And so the pastor came. Finally, they were all overjoyed. The thing is, what happened is, in the first month since the pastor came, he has to conduct six funerals. And he was so busy. You know, in our church, uh, I don't know whether it's a coincidence, uh, Whenever there's a new pastor coming to church, uh, we have quite a number of funerals. You remember that? Reverend Jayakumar, case one. Case two, Reverend Wu Kit Sang. Third case, uh, Reverend Yong Wai Yin. And then our pastor also. I don't know why. It's a coincidence. So anyway, this pastor came and he has to preach six funerals, uh, sermons. And he was so busy, he could not prepare his sermon. And so, <clears throat> he preached the sermon, the last sermon, three times. In other words, he preached the same sermon four times. And so, the elders of the church then went to see the bishop. Bishop, how come you send us a pastor like this? He was preaching the sermon four times in a row. And the bishop asked them the question, uh, By the way, brothers, what was the sermon all about? They scratched their head. And they said, we can't remember. I wish the bishop said, then let him preach one more time. <laughs> so pastor, you can test the congregants. If they don't understand, you preach a sermon once, twice, three times, four times. And that will be good. <laughs> well, the, the title of our, our sermon list today is The Parting Words of, of Jesus. The parting words of Jesus. And the scripture was read by our sister uh, Mary. Now, this passage, Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 30, records the last parting words of Jesus to his disciples before he ascended to heaven to, uh, to be with his father. And the 11 disciples, as mentioned in Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. They were told by Jesus to go to the mountain in Galilee. Now, Jesus did not mention which mountain. But I, I think they know which mountain. Right? Could be what? The mountain, the mountain where Jesus gave the sermon on the mount. That could be a possible thing. And so they had to travel from all the way from Galilee, uh, from Jerusalem to Galilee to meet with Jesus. And the last few verses of Matthew that was just read are also known as the Great 
Commission. The Great Commission. Well, friends, today is the last Sunday as Pastor have prayed just now for this year 2019, and we have only the last three days before the year ends. And last parting words of a person may be profound, can be very meaningful. Or sometimes parting words can be humorous and all this stick in our mind. Especially when somebody is, you know, you have witnessed a person passing away. The person speaks a few words and will remember always the first, the, the last words. You know, my last words of my sister before she passed off, she told me, I'm cold. I'm cold. And true, she was cold. And she passed away. Let's look at the parting words of Paul to Timothy. What did Paul say? A familiar verse. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And this is the parting words of Paul to Timothy. Another one. Moses to the people of Israel before he passed away. And Moses said, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes, all, who goes with you, and he will not leave you nor forsake you. These are words of assurance to the people of Israel. George Orwell, some of you may be familiar a writer, uh, familiar for writing the book, The Animal Farm. And you know, these are the words, parting words he said before he died. At 50, everyone has the face he deserves. He said that. At 50, everyone has the face he deserves. And you know, how old was he when he died? He died at the age of 46. So he did not, reach the, the, he did not get the, the, the face that he deserved at the age of 50. What about John F. Kennedy? Now, a friend of John F. Kennedy said to, John, uh, to, to, uh, to the president, President Kennedy, when he visited Dallas in Texas, he said, you certainly cannot say that the people of Dallas cannot give you a nice welcome, Mr. President. And JFK responded with his final words, no, you certainly can't. And afterwards, he was assassinated. Another person, Martin Luther King's mountaintop speech. A friend of mine went to Georgia and I reminded this person, please send me a, a scroll or a souvenir which I, I, I have found out. His whole mountaintop speech was written there in a scroll. Well, this is part of his speech. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We have got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. Sure enough, the next day, he was shot dead. So these are parting words of people. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. For this uh, sharing this morning, I have divided into three parts. All authority, make disciples, and the promise. So let's look at all authority. 
If you remember again, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, I want you to take note of the word all. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in this passage alone, there are four alls. All authority, all nations, all things, and all the days. Now we know about the kingship of Jesus. We just have celebrated Christmas. Jesus as a king of kings, lords of lords, who came to earth in a humble baby. And the Greek word for authority is exousia, meaning power. Jesus has all authority. That means he has power. But Jesus does not abuse his power. Like we see abuse of power, struggle for power in politics, in organizations. Jesus never come to misuse his power. His, cause, his power has already been given by God, his Father. And we know Jesus Christ, the King of kings and lords of lords. And for those of you who are familiar with Handel's Messiah, I always appreciate the Hallelujah Chorus. If you have listened to the Hallelujah Chorus, it's wonderful. King George stood up when he was so touched by the Hallelujah Chorus. And it has been a tradition when the Hallelujah Chorus is sung, everybody will stand up. Let's look at Christ with all authority in heaven. When we say Christ has all authority in heaven, it means what? He has authority over the angels, over all other angelic creatures in heaven. And also remember, Jesus has authority over Satan over all the dark forces of evil on earth. And so therefore, friends, we must not be afraid. Because Christ has that authority over Satan and over all the dark forces of evil on earth. Uh, on the 16th of December, about three houses away from where I stayed, the developer rented a unit which was empty to a Thai exorcist. And that night, we hear screams and shouting. A lot of incense were burned. And people were taking numbers, like in a clinic. And those screams make, your, make you have goose pimples. And I was telling my, telling my wife, we should not be afraid because Christ has authority over Satan, over all the dark forces or even evil on earth. You see, even the demons feared his authority. The, evens, the demons were scared 
that Jesus is a son of God. They were scared when they were cast out. The demons were scared of Jesus even. Jesus also has authority on earth. Now, authority over the nations, all the nations, however big the nations could be, China, USA, UK, France, Germany. Jesus has authority over kings of this world. Jesus has authority over presidents. Jesus has authority over prime ministers. And this is something that we must claim. Jesus has authority. And Jesus not only has authority, he spoke with authority whenever he speaks in Matthew 7, 20, 29. And Jesus has authority even to forgive sins. We don't have the authority to forgive sins. Yet Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And so, coming to the Great Commission, since Jesus has that authority, all authority, therefore Jesus can have the authority to give this Great Commission to the church to go to the ends of the world. Let's look at make disciples. Again, if we look at Matthew chapter 19 to 28, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So what is the Great Commission? The Great Commission tells us to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. It, the word disciples comes from the Greek word Matthew to see it. This making of disciples, uh, since Christ is the authority, uh, he is giving us the marching orders. Uh, it's like a, you know, and a general who gives a command, uh, go and make disciples. And therefore, we have to obey. It's a command. And how? In that verse that we have just read, baptizing them, the triune baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching not just knowledge, but also examples, and teaching obedience. I don't know whether you can see it clearly. A research was done by Barna Research. And this is what they found out. This is uh, one of the latest 2018 that they have done. And they, were, and they asked here, the Christians in America, how many of you know about the Great Commission? 51% said they don't know. 51% of the American Christians say they don't know about the Great Commission. And so you think, oh, yeah, the balance of 49% will know, but not all. Even among the 49% who say they know, you find that there are some who say, I'm not sure, 6%. 17%, yes, and it means, that means only 70% knows exactly what is the Great Commission all about. Then we have the other uh, 25%. Who says yes, 
but I can't recall the exact meaning. Wow, that is quite a concern for the Christians in America. And here also, on the slides, he shows you about the Great Commission by generation. Now, there are four colors there. Uh, elders, boomers, elders, boomers, generation X, and millennials. Now, in case you don't know which generation you belong, eh, so I'll show you one. Let's start with the elders. Eh. If you are born eh, prior to 1946, you are called elders. If you are born between 1946 and 1954, you are all the boomers. So I think you know who you are. Generation X, born between 1965 and 1983. Millennials, born between 1984 and 2002. Generation Z, or Z, were born between 1999 and 2015. So let's go back. The question, have you heard and remember the Great Commission? The elders, 25% said yes, they have. And look at, look at the millennials, only 10%. Look at the Generation X, 17%. Look at the boomers, 26%. So we see a decreasing, a decreasing knowledge of the Great Commission as we go from one generation to the other. And have heard but can't recall. Let's see all. And uh, do not know, look at this one, the millennials. 41% does not know about the Great Commission. And what about the Generation X? About 53%. Why do I show this data? It is for us to learn from the United States. What if we have a study in Malaysia? They have not got a study in Malaysia, but they have got a study on Singapore. On Singapore. Not Malaysia yet. And we find that there's a trend as we go down to the younger generation. The Great Commission is not known to them at all. You look at even 47%. Now, this was done by Alpha USA. Eh? You are familiar with the logo, eh? Alpha. 47% of Christian millennials in the US, born between 1984 and 1998, think it's wrong to evangelize. And no wonder the gospel is not preached the number of Christians in the U.S. has gone down tremendously. 47% say that it's wrong to evangelize. How untrue it is. Not only that, nearly half of Christians admit they would avoid a spiritual conversation if it meant their non-Christian friend would reject them. 45% of that. How about us? Do we also have this fear do we avoid a spiritual conversation even if it means that your friend will reject you? Do we also act like them? This one is a bit small. It talks about the differences, generational differences on faith sharing. Especially the last one. If someone disagrees with you, it means that they are judging you. And 40% of them said this. 47% of the millennials says this. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith. 
in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. You see, there you have 40% here for the millennials, right? And you go up to the Generation X, it's, still, it's, it's slightly less, uh, more. But you look at the millennials, it is very, very less. The thing is, it's an irony. The millennials and Generation X actually have you know, what I call are most equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? In the internet age, they are well-versed than our elders. Our elders may not be so well-versed with the internet, with the WhatsApp. Uh, of course, I saw an 80-year-old lady talking about, ah, let's look at WhatsApp, ah, let's look at YouTube. Wow, she's different. But most are still not conversant with those smart devices. The millennials and the Generation X are the ones most equipped. And if we do not utilize this opportunity, then the gospel will not be spread. We cannot then fulfill the Great Commission. Another data, 28% of U.S. adults don't have spiritual conversation often because they always seem to create tension or arguments. And here again, when they witness, they get themselves into arguments. And that's why, you see, we have, we have an alpha here where people come right, and listen to the word of God in a very normal way, non-threatening way. Let's look at Malaysia. The projection from year 2010 to 20, uh, 20, uh, 2020 to 2050. We find that the number of Christians in Malaysia is going to be 9.4%. The majority of Muslims will be 63.7%. Buddhists will be 17.7%. So Christians actually are among the minorities, 9.4%. And here, if you look at the slide here, it shows us the social hostilities towards the Christian faith and also the government hostilities. I want you to look at this black dot represents the world median or average, which is low. Low in social hostility, low in government hostilities. But Malaysia is here, considered as high, very high. It's about eight point something, the scale. And the social hostility is also high. That's where we are here. And so that's why we have to look at ways of how we can share the gospel, right, so that we don't have, it doesn't give rise to social hostilities or even government hostilities. William Fitzgerald, in his book, The Roots of Methodism, 1903, says this, and that's what the Methodists are guided. All need to be saved. All can be saved. All can know they are saved. All can be saved to the uttermost. And this is a reminder for us as Methodists. So how do we fulfill the Great Commission? The Great Commission can be fulfilled, it starts in the home. And we learn about an example of Timothy. 
influenced by his family. In 2 Timothy 1.5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith. This is Paul, this is Timothy. Which first lived in your grandmother, Louis, and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now, lives also in you. So it starts in the home. If we don't share the word of God, share Jesus Christ with our children and our family members, how then can we go and share this with others outside the family? The Great Commission is the command to take the gospel to every person throughout the world and to make disciples of all nations. And Paul to Timothy says this in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, And the things you have heard from me, heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is called discipleship, spiritual multiplication. And so what is discipleship? It's a lifelong process and journey rooted in relationship with Jesus. And how do people talk about discipleship? This is, these are some of the things that mention 43% becoming more Christ-like, which is correct, becoming more Christ-like. And so let's look at the, at the meaning of a disciple. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, a disciple is not above his, his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. This is very interesting. A disciple must be like his teacher. So in other words, it will say that a disciple of Jesus, like each one of us, is someone who is like Jesus. We should be like Jesus. Jesus, as I mentioned in the children's message, is the light of the world. And we are to be the light of the world for Jesus. We shine for Jesus. So if we cannot shine for Jesus, then how can we become a disciple? We must, a disciple is like Jesus, walks like Jesus, talks like Jesus, thinks like Jesus. And here is something interesting, just very quickly. The top three goals for discipleship. Here it shows a disconnect between what the, 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 the church members and the pastors think about discipleship. Right? They, are, they are differently different. So that's why we must, we must bring it to what we call that. We must, uh, we must bring it to uh, what we call that. Uh, we must have some what we call that uh, parallelism. And participation in discipleship activities. For example, we say attending Sunday school and fellowship group, 43%. That's where they participate. And that's where the small groups is, 43%. And attending Sunday school. I know in the US, uh, in the churches that I visit, uh, the, the adults also attend Sunday school. They also attend Sunday school. So it's not only the children. They call it the, the church school. Everybody attends before the service starts. A most effective method of discipleship, Bana also did a survey. Now here they say 52%, 52% here is small group. One's own is only 3%. 29% says it's one-to-one. 11% -one. is only what? 
what do you call that? Five uh, percent is a large group, in a large group. But you notice that the small group makes up fifty-two percent of it. So Jesus is all authority, friends, and with that authority, He commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so, therefore, we ask ourselves, well, I am not equipped. I'm scared of sharing the word of God. But the promise is made. Matthew 20, 20. I am with you always. Always, remember the word. Always, even to the end of the world. And that's where we can get the word Emmanuel and our track president, Pastor Jaya, spoke at length about God is with us. Emmanuel. And Satan's lie to us is that, hey, God is absent from our presence. And Satan will lie that to us. No. Always remember Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you. Genesis 28 verse 6 is what God said to Jacob. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Isaiah 43 verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. These are the promises made by God. I will be with you. So friends, I conclude with the words of John Wesley. And these are the words of John Wesley before he passed away, before he died. And these are the words he says, the best of all is God with us. Friends, my question is, is God with you? Is God with you only on Christmas Day? Or is God with you everywhere you go? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for 